Kari, have you seen this movie that I would pitch to you as Princess Bride meets Pan's Labyrinth? I've yeah. seen those movies. Not, <laughs> I don't think so. So the setting is Southern California, 1915. There's a five-year-old girl in the hospital with a broken arm where she befriends another patient. who's a man who is laid up in bed, possibly paralyzed. Uh, he starts telling her a story, and much of the movie is made up of her mental image of how his story goes. But here's the thing. English is not her first language. Her family is Romanian, so her cultural background informs a lot of how she perceives the story which we see on screen. This movie is The Fall, directed by Tarsem Singh, came out in 2006. Kara, you've got to watch this movie, my friend. It is oh, so good. I'm excited. That pitch has got me hooked. Let's do this. All right, hello and welcome to K. Have You Seen This? My name is Kyle. I'm Kari. And today we're going to be talking about a risky choice because this is one of my personal favorite movies. Oh. And I'm very curious to get your thoughts on this, Kari. Um, as we mentioned last week, this movie is The Fall, a 2006 film by Tarsem, the uh, professional name of uh, Tarsem Singh. And um, I personally described it last week as a cross between Princess Bride and Pan's Labyrinth. And I forgot to mention there's a dash of Baraka, if you are familiar with that film. Oh, I'm not. If not, don't worry about it. We can get into that later. <laughs> but let's get right into it. I'm curious as to what your initial impressions of this movie is, and we can kind of unpack them mm-hmm. as we go as we go forward. Um, very first thought, and this is from the first sequence, but holds true throughout the whole movie. It is beautiful. It is a beautifully shot, like really well thought out. You can tell the cinematographer had a huge hand in it. Um, yeah, beautiful story, beautifully shot. Um, yeah, and interesting. I it, it kept me. I liked it. I mean, overall impression, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I'm very curious what speaks to you about it. But, um, I mean, it's got Lee Pace. What's to hate about that? And, yeah, story... The story is really sweet. I, I felt like the girl, the... The young girl who's kind of our protagonist in the whole thing was really captivating in, you know, the way that some great child actors are and some are just not. So overall, enjoyed it. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into that. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, this is the the, uh, summary of the plot that Rotten Tomatoes gives for it. Los Angeles, circa 1920s, a little immigrant girl finds herself in a hospital recovering from a fall. She strikes up a friendship with a bedridden man who captivates her with a whimsical story that removes her far from the hospital doldrums into the exotic landscapes of her imagination. Making sure he keeps the girl interested in the story, he interweaves her family and people she likes from the hospital into his tale. That is the most vanilla description of this story you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, Now, what this summary does not tell you, first of all, I feel like this is a little bit earlier than the 1920s. It doesn't specifically say in the movie. First of all, it begins with Los Angeles Once Upon a Time, which I thought was perfect. Mm. Um, it looks like it's probably like the 19-teens, and this friendship between this little girl and this man who's bedridden, the man is bedridden because he's a stuntman for Hollywood movies who performed a suicidal stunt and he is possibly paralyzed from the waist down. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not really verified, but he, he definitely has like a major, major back injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story that he tells to this young girl in the hospital, they kind of meet by chance, and he tells her this story that does involve like different uh, uh, figures that she pictures as uh, people that they know. But that's probably half to two-thirds of the movie is this little girl's visualization of the story that she is being told. So that's where the Pan's Labyrinth and, and um, uh, Princess Bride thing comes in. Now, the other major thing that this summary left out is that those visualizations are shot on location in 28 countries around the world, beautiful locations mm-hmm. with almost no CGI, basically none. Now, Kari, did you know that part going into the movie? I didn't, and I actually have in my notes where was this shot? Because like, location mm-hmm. scouting must have been insane. Like there are certain parts where just the location, the way they move through a place, is so specific, and it's 
totally alien. Like they could be on Mars in some of these yeah. shots. The the castles and the island specifically when they're like swimming from the island and then they swim to like a little like peninsula type thing mm-hmm. that's very it's very alien looking and I was I was wondering if they built it all in a studio honestly but that's interesting to know so very little of this movie was shot on a set virtually everything was shot on location so the hospital was a hospital in South Africa um, uh, the orange sand dunes in the desert that was in Namibia a lot of these locations were shot in uh, in India in different parts of India mm-hmm. um, and the director uh, we'll just call him Tarsem his that's his professional name he's uh, his full name is Tarsem Singh Dabdwar a little background on him to kind of get us into this. He uh, made his bones basically as a music video and commercial director in mm-hmm. starting uh, in the early 90s, I think. One of his biggest hits was he made the video for R.E.M.'s song, Losing My Religion. He oh, also wow. made a commercial for Levi's that won the Grand Prix at Cannes. And he basically talked to uh, Roger Ebert, who was a big fan of this movie when a lot of critics were not, and in an interview, he basically said, like, he, you know, I made a whole lot of money uh, making these commercials, but I didn't really spend it. I just kind of scrolled it away because I was constantly working. I had my house paid off. I got no kids. And I finally got to a point where I wanted to make a movie that I wanted to make, and this is the movie I wanted to make. So take a stab. With that in mind, he funded this movie almost entirely on his own, mm-hmm. where they traveled to 28 different countries around the world, oh, which were a lot of places he had shot commercials and music videos. Mm-hmm. And he cashed in favors in a lot of these places said hey can I shoot something here for me um and he funded this movie almost entirely on his own take a stab at how much the budget was mm, with that much travel uh I'm gonna say 80,000 80,000 yeah oh no sorry 80 million 80 million whatever uh 30 million dollars which oh. is a lot of money but for as much if you've seen the film you know that that seems like bargain basement budget yeah and everything is there's so many actors involved as mm-hmm. well it's 30 million guess what the gross was international just ballpark it mm. i'm gonna say it didn't do well because the Correct. passion project <laughs> thing makes a lot of sense to me because it is very hard to put it in a box that you could market uh i'm gonna say maybe 15 million it made half its budget mm, optimistic worldwide gross 3.7 million dollars oh that's such a bummer yeah so barely more than 10 percent of its actual budget so and, and it's kind of got an interesting story when it with its release but we'll kind of get into that in a minute part of the reason for it not doing very well in terms of money was that not a lot of people who saw it on the festival circuit appreciated it so like i said roger ebert was a big fan and i'll read a quick quote from his review where he says quote Tarsem's The Fall is a mad folly, an extravagant visual orgy, a free fall from reality into uncharted realms. Surely it is one of the wildest indulgences a director has ever granted himself. Tarsem, for two decades a leading director of music videos and TV commercials, spent millions of his own money to finance The Fall, filmed it for four years in 28 countries, and made a movie that you might want to see for no other reason than because it exists. There will never be another like it. He continues... Either you are drawn into the world of this movie, or you are not. Mm. It is preposterous, of course, but I vote with Werner Herzog, who says, if we do not find new images, we will perish. Four stars out of four. Roger Ebert was much more generous to this movie than most critics. Nathan Lee from the New York Times was brutal, and his entire review can basically be summed up in the phrase that he gives, quote, a real bore. Oh. How do you respond to that? I, I did see flaws in this movie. Boring was not one of them. I was never bored. My biggest problem, it felt like they had left things in the edit or something. Like, they had left things out of the edit, I guess I should say. There were... There was connective tissue that I didn't feel like was there. Like, I wanted more... I wanted to understand backstory a little bit more. I felt like we kind of made the jump between, like... Um, I guess we're not in the spoiler section yet. Not maybe. quite, not quite. We'll get yeah. there, we'll get there. We made some jumps with, I'll just say, with Lee Pace's character, Roy, to kind of... The jumps in his motivation were totally earned, I felt like. There were some things that I didn't feel were totally established. And then the, the moment at the end, too, I felt like there was a little bit more that could have been there. But, okay. but no, boring, boring never. It was enough to just, like, watch it. It was art... Yeah, and it is extravagant. Like, I was thinking about this earlier. This is sort of like the movie uh, parallel to, like, one of those really 
bloated, coke-fueled, 1970s, like, rock, uh, like, epic mm-hmm. albums, you know, that's got a producer with, like, a grand vision that's just completely gone off the rails and throwing, sparing no expense. Or, like, I don't know if you've ever heard the story that Kevin Smith tells about going to Prince's house and how, like, he has just this extravagant, unrealistic, unreasonable lifestyle, or had, R.I.P., um, where one of his assistants said something to the effect of, like, yeah, if he calls us at four in the morning and says, I want a giraffe, we gotta get Prince a giraffe. That's kind of the, that was an anecdote that came to mind when I was rewatching this uh, movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, as I said, this is, for me, one of my personal favorites, so naturally, uh, and I... I'm going to get very personal here and say this is one of the very few movies that actually makes me cry oh. every time I watch it. Every single time. And uh, if you want to grill me on which parts, we can get into that a little yes. bit Yes. No, I am very interested in your personal reaction to it because I'm surprised. I wouldn't have thought this would be mm. a, a, a Kyle-like yeah. favorite. But. Sure. But yeah, like we were talking about, it is extravagant it's big and Mm -hmm. it's but it's big almost in a small way if that Mm -hmm. makes sense Mm -hmm. like it obviously was a very inconvenient movie to shoot just because of the travel involved and the logistics and stuff and like they said they shot it over four years um by the way i forgot to mention uh 59% on rotten tomatoes Mm. but 85% audience score (laughs) Um, their summary, or not their summary, but like the summation of all the critics was more visually elaborate than the fragmented story can sometimes support. The fall walks the line between labor of love and filmmaker self-indulgence. And mm. I cannot stress this enough, 100% correct that this is a, an indulgent film. But by a guy who I feel like he paid his dues and he earned it. Yeah. I mean, he's saving $30 million or most of it is, Ugh. that's an impressive feat on its own. And the fact that he spent it on this, I would call money well spent. Nothing wrong with indulgent. I am here for an indulgent film in the right places, and I think I think this one was in the right places. Yeah, and it's wild though that a movie that is so you know really indulgent is the best word for it is you know it came out uh, in the festival circuit two thousand six and it didn't get a theater release, a limited release at that until two thousand eight because of help from Spike Jones and David Fincher who both are also alums of commercials and music videos. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they may have had uh, felt a a certain kinship with Tarsem, and uh, I think that they just have good taste in in movies, weirdly enough. I saw the the Spike Jones connection, and I wasn't totally sure what that was, like how he was involved with this movie, but he's a confusing figure to me. He's he's all over the place. Yeah, and um, basically their involvement, um, uh, Spike Jones and David Fincher, was after the film had been made, they jumped on board to help get it distributed. Gotcha. So they didn't really have any creative input, mm-hmm. um, which I think is probably a good thing, um, only because this is such a singular vision. And mm-hmm. only, you know, it takes one person spending his own money to make something as, as crazy as... A, this is a film that, uh, within the first 15 minutes or so, you see an elephant swimming from a coral oh, reef gorgeous. to <laughs> a, a, a desert peninsula. And that is pretty... A desert, uh, excuse me, a, uh, a coral reef shaped like a butterfly, oh, which dissolves right. from a, a, a scene, a shot of a butterfly. Ooh. So that's the kind of film that you're getting into. Yes. Oh, there were some cool like crossfade cuts mm-hmm. there where the one, the guy's face, and yes. then it like fades out into the sand and stuff. Can we talk some specifics about the movie? Are Absolutely. we at that point? You know what? Let's just let. If you haven't watched this movie, do yourself a favor and do it, because we're going to get into some spoilers here, because quite honestly, there's no way to talk about this movie without it. Yeah. So, yeah, if you haven't seen this movie, pause it right now. It's like, again, $2.99 rental on iTunes, but I promise you're going to want to buy it. Um, But yeah, spoilers from here forward. Yeah. Well, I was going to start with, so the story Roy tells to um, the little girl. Alexandra. Alexandra. Her, it's, it's about this, like, team of bandits, including a... Oh, what is it? A explosives expert, expert who's Italian, mm-hmm. an Indian. Which, when he's talking about it, mm-hmm. it sounds like a Native American Indian. Right. But she pictures him as as an Indian from the country of India. Right. So that's like I liked that a lot. Also about this was um, her interp- interpretation. It's kind of Wizard of Ozian in how she interprets what like what he's saying. But then it's. Not totally like the story. You see the story coming from him, and then being interpreted by her right. in an interesting way. Exactly. So a lot of faces will recur. You'll see people that are existing in the hospital in mm-hmm. her real life showing up as characters that he doesn't designate. Like he doesn't say, right. "Oh, like you know that person." 
they are that, this person. That does but. happen a couple of times, but not many, like Nurse Evelyn, or mm-hmm. he calls her Sister Evelyn, because he, he thinks that she's a nun for some reason. Right. Um, but this nurse, who is 100% boning one of the night doctors, although, I don't know if you caught on to that part, like, that when he's in the background, he's like, er, watch, tap, tap, tap. Oh, I thought that was like, kids need to be in bed. It's no, late. because there was that one scene where, like, uh, uh, Alexandria was pretending to be asleep, and then she went, and she, like, peeked in and, and saw them. You didn't see them, but you saw Alexandria's face. She, like, basically caught them in the closet or whatever. Anyway. Was there um, supposed to be something between Roy and Evelyn or was she just picturing Evelyn as the woman Roy loved? So they had that, that came up towards the end in their conversation where um, I feel like Roy was almost kind of, they didn't really delve into this, but where Roy was sort of uh, possibly developing a crush on Nurse Evelyn but didn't really get into it and or at least that's how Alexandria interpreted it mm-hmm. because uh, Sister Evelyn came into the story and she had that part where like she basically made this like super mean thing where she said where um Alexandria said to Roy like right. she, like basically like she's she's gonna leave you just like your girlfriend or something yes. like that and this by the way is a six year old five year old oh, kid yeah. who is saying this and we need to get into Alexandria before we go too much further. We talked yes. a little bit about Roy's background. He's a fairly simple character. We do need to for sure talk about Alexandria because she is our perspective, our point of view character mm-hmm. throughout the whole film. And she is five years old. She's broken her arm. She is um, a young girl in a, I believe it's implied Romanian immigrant family. The actress mm-hmm. is Romanian. And um, they're fruit pickers. And before the events of the film, she had fallen while picking oranges and broken her arm. And so it, the story picks up with her um, in the hospital recovering and kind of sees the whole hospital from her perspective, first from the, like, the children's ward. Um, you learn little bits about her. Like The first thing you see of her is her, she's written a note on like a little cutout piece of paper mm-hmm. that I have transcribed. And she's written it very poorly where it oh. says, it's so cute. She says, Nurse Evelyn, I throw orange in priest. I love you. I love you. I love you. Alex Andriax. Well, Alexandria X. <laughs> so... First of all, we learn a few things about her right away, and, um, you know, she's, I hate using this word because it gets used when anytime as a child actor, precocious, mm-hmm. but in a way that, like, I'm obsessed with the way she talks, for one thing. Oh, yeah. Because she clearly does not have good mastery of English, and in fact, I think they had to, like, feed her her lines to learn phonetically. Oh. Which is crazy, because so many of her scenes when she's interacting with Roy seem completely improvised or unscripted yeah i was gonna say like i because that's one thing i think this movie did beautifully is that the communication between two people that don't fully speak the same language so there's a lot of just like what did you did you understand what i said (laughs) haha like that little Mm -hmm. laugh you do when you don't understand but you're not gonna ask and it nails that so it made me wonder if it's actually improvised yeah and it's crazy because this is I've watched this movie a few times um, before this most recent rewatch but this is the first time I realized that you know there's a lot of films that deal with adults interacting with kids there's a lot of films that deal with old people interacting with young people there's a lot of films that deal with people that don't speak the same language interacting with each other in this particular story you've got uh, two main characters who are having to overcome language barrier age barrier and culture barrier Mm -hmm. which is part of the reason why Alexandria's perception of the story is so unique Um, you know she's got a completely different set of reference points Mm -hmm. so as you mentioned there's an Indian in the story well it's not an Indian in the sense that Roy means because he was just in a cowboy movie it's an Indian from India which Mm -hmm. Alexandria tells him early on that this is my friend he's from India he gave me this little elephant Mm -hmm. so it's it's unique in that way and and how it it deals with a character who sort of understands english sort of understands the adult world and sort of understands the culture that she's in um and by the way i have this great one of the featurettes on the on the blu-ray is a Mm. behind the scenes um basically camcorder footage edited together from the set and tarsem says quote if the hospital doesn't work this will just be a bad music video which i think is a very oh. astute insight onto his own work because I feel it does all hinge on the hospital. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people said the hospital stuff didn't click and it was boring. Ah, okay. Interesting. So I, I, I've been talking a ton. Uh, I'm, I'm dying to know more about like what your perspective was on, you know, we talked a little bit about the uh, naturalistic conversations that they had between mm-hmm. each other. 
But what else stood out to you in, in terms of both in the hospital where the real world is and in the, in the world of the story and how the story developed? Well, my first, the first thing that's kind of coming to me is the, I didn't realize the music video connection. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking like, well, there wasn't, there wasn't music in this movie. Like they didn't sing. There was no main, but thinking about it. No, there actually was like, there was certain moments where they would have this like choir type thing, singing some of the lines. Yes. Yeah, and the that makes so much faintly. sense. Yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. And that was, that was really interesting for setting a certain kind of mood. But. Now, while we're talking about music, I'm, I would like to know what, what did you think of the use of Beethoven's seventh? in like the uh the begin the this the, the music that plays at the very beginning oh, and the very end. Okay, yeah. Um I didn't have strong feelings about it at the oh, time. Wow. I was so wrapped up in the visuals of it cuz the first that first sequence is just so visually striking. It's all mm -hmm. that like slow motion, very high frame rate, very like beautiful and crisp and you're seeing all these different images coming together to sort of see the aftermath of Roy's botched stunt, basically, mm -hmm, you realize. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was way more wrapped up in the visuals than I was okay. in the music. But See, that's interesting because it shows this this piece of music, a, sec a second movement from Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, and it shows it at the very beginning, at the very end, and very briefly in the middle of the film. And it's a beautiful piece of classical music. It's one of the most, I think, recognizable pieces of mm -hmm. music from Beethoven's career, at least. And I get chill bumps when I hear that. Mm. And I had never heard it before I saw this movie, so that might be part of the reason I like associate it. Oh. But it, uh, it, I feel like it's a perfect, perfect piece of music because of like the the feeling that it evokes, and it just matches really nicely. But yeah, go on. I mean, like, what um, did you have any kind of? Was there any particular moments that really stuck out to you as like either this is. You said the very beginning was um, hooked you. Mm. Was there anything else where you were really hit you like, man, this is really good? Or alternatively, anything where you're like, ah, this does not add up for me. Mm. I gotta say, I loved Charles Darwin a la Elton John. I was a big fan of that yeah. interpretation. So going back to kind of the the band of um, misfits that come together to basically the story Roy is telling band of different kind of experts comes together all in hopes of bringing down uh what are they governor odious governor odious and they all have their different motivations and reasons and they all have these very niche specialties and one of them is charles darwin with his best friend who's a monkey who helps him discover all these things and they're looking after they're looking for a specific butterfly and that's and Apparently, Governor Odious killed one and sent it to them, and that's their motivation for coming and finding him and killing him. But all through it, Charles Darwin is wearing this, like, gorgeous fur coat over, mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. you know, the typical just old English slacks with the suspenders mm -hmm. and basically what the dad from Tarzan wears, <laughs> like, um, and but just over it, this, this gorgeous, like, red and white a coat that is insane but I, I loved that I was I was here for it yeah and uh, the story within the story is I mean it's it's pretty thin on plot and the plot mm. changes and the characters change and a lot of things happen very quickly but it's all because this is what's happening inside of Alexandria's head and we know that we know that going into it mm -hmm. so that being pretty thin I don't think that is a detriment at all. I think that it's 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 more a testament to Alexandria's imagination to put these people in these different places and like, mm -hmm. visualize all these different like fantastical costumes and locales and things like that. Um, now, was there a particular location that stuck out to you the most, mm -hmm. or a couple that that really were memorable or that were just super eye popping when you saw them? Mm -hmm. That one where they swim from the island at the beginning because we start. Our first scene with them is them stranded on this island and one of them can't swim and they've got to get off to save um, the man's twin brother who's going to be executed. Um, that scene, just them swimming and arriving on that peninsula, just mm -hmm. from a geographical standpoint, was so striking. There's a scene with a wedding with the whirling mm -hmm. dervishes, mm -hmm. which is so cool. And of course, there's some great slow-mo shots that are just amazing. Um I mean, honestly, every place in the story itself was so striking. Mm -hmm. He really, he does a really good job at getting kind of the big end of the spectrum with these like really crazy, fantastical landscapes and scenes and beautifully staged shots. 
and then getting the really low end of the spec the very small intimate how the characters interact and the relationships they have and the dynamics between different characters in these different like you know in the in the hospital and Mm. then in the story itself it's the middle part that i feel like maybe was the weakest but he both ends of the spectrum i feel like he just really nailed it so as far as locations are concerned there's a couple of things that i found during like the uh research here and again this is all this this is coming from uh an interview that roger ebert did with tarsem and which is one of the only pieces of scholarship if you want to call it that connected to this film because it was so poorly received Uh there's not a ton of information to be had about behind Mm. the scenes stuff doesn't come directly from like super fans mm-hmm. and so the blue city that surrounds Odius's uh, uh, palace or whatever mm-hmm. like the city with like all the blue apparently that's a city in India that like there's a there's a town law where all houses have to be painted blue and it was all like the paint was peeling and stuff like that and so Tarsem comes in and he says to basically the city government he's like I will buy paint for the entire city knowing that it has to be blue and so he said that they painted all of these Whoa. houses around blue because they had to paint them because he, he says he says I made a contract with the city they would give uh, we would give them free paint we knew legally they could only choose blue so they painted their houses blue and it looked more vibrant than it ever had before so I thought That's that was kind cool. of interesting and then also the um, zigzagging steps that um, they had the really amazing shot of uh, it's where uh, Darwin eventually uh, gets killed oh the yes zigzaggy that's right steps where like the the guys in like the uh, the black x-ray armor mm-hmm. which was a great design oh so that was cool that. um but anyway that location um is a reservoir in a town in india oh. and so really you know again it really exists and uh tarsem has he says in this interview that the people that live near there think it's really ugly um what? but he's but part of it is because he shot it in a way that made it look more like mystical than it really is where he says um where is it what matters is how i'm framing it if you see the wider shots there are about two thousand indians on trees watching and wondering why we're shooting in a really crappy well <laughs> so um yeah i thought that was kind of an interesting thing where and, and again where the, the um the character of the indian when his wife is thrown into the labyrinth of despair oh yeah that scene where it cuts between like all the shots of her running Apparently that's all one place. Again, in India, he says that that's actually kind of a crappy-looking observatory that was built with, like, different walls angled towards stars and stuff like uh-huh. that. But he said it's totally, like, junky and in, like, a really crummy little park. And so he just, like, framed it really nice to make it look good. Movie magic. Yeah, exactly. I had something about the henchmen, actually, while Please, we're on it. Please, away. So I, I feel like I missed some point here, but they... They keep calling them animals. Like, I think twice mm-hmm. someone different calls them animals. And then they start making animal noises. Yeah. Or they are making animal mm-hmm. noises, maybe before that point. But was that something? Was there... I think that was just a matter of, of Roy in the story saying, like, using that as an expression. And, and uh, Alexandria taking it literally. But she had already visualize like what she thinks is scary is the guy in the x-ray protective mm. suit in the hospital and so she uses that as like her basis for like their appearance and then when Roy says something about such and such you animals she starts like injecting like those animal noises because they are making mm. these really creepy like jackal noises or like hyenas or yeah like there's like pig noises at one yeah, point yeah 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 um but yeah you're right that was um th- I thought that was a great design choice that it was, was cool it just someone called it was two different times that they called them animals so I was mm. like okay I see her connection to this but why does that word keep coming up as well but mm-hmm. yeah it was I liked I really liked the kind of subverted Wizard of Oz thing where it's like it's not just one person's kind of hallucination it's this collaborative hallucination that's mm-hmm, going on mm-hmm. in this story yeah and it, as far as storytelling itself really i do think the most interesting things happen in the real world in the hospital mm. um like the interactions um one thing i didn't mention was that the um the interactions between roy and alexandria to get a more naturalistic performance out of alexandria a lot of times when they had the curtains drawn around the bed they shot through very small holes in the curtain so that the cameras and the crew were not visible to Alexandria so that she would have a more naturalistic interaction with Roy. Wow. Also, they had... This is before Lee Pace was even slightly famous. Like, right. this is one of those first, like, quote-unquote big roles, which he's still not super, super famous. Right, I feel prime. like he still hasn't totally broken through. But, um... He was unfamous enough that, like, they were able to convince almost everybody in the cast and crew that he was a paraplegic. Whoa. So Tarsem cast him, and 
Leap, there's footage of behind the scenes where Leap Pace is like in his trailer and he's having a PA help him into a wheelchair where his legs are just dead. What? And they wheel him into set and then he like literally like manually lifts one leg onto the bed then the other leg and then shifts over onto the bed from the wheelchair. And so the actress who played Alexandria, the five-year-old girl, thought that he could not move his legs. And what so was... did most of the cast. Why? Um, partly to... They said partly it was to get a better performance out of the girl playing Alexandria. Uh-huh. Um, because she's five, and there's only so much pretending you could really expect her to do, I guess. Mm. I'm not really sure. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Like, the way they got these performances out of um, Alexandria. And yeah. like I said, I am obsessed with the way she talks. Like, it's, oh, yeah. it's adorable and smart. And the indignity when she first comes in and finds Roy reading the note. Yes. And he said, like, I couldn't read it anyway. It's gibberish. She says, it's not gibberish. It's English. It's English. Yeah, she's very, like, very serious about her English. Yeah. And, like, just, yeah. I, I literally great. wrote quotes from her on my notebook that I'm not going to share here. But, like, it was just so <laughs> Throw great. a couple out. Like, a lot of them were, like, the interactions where Roy says, what's this? And she says, paper. Oh, was, like, yeah. asking her, like, what does this say? Or, um, when she says, uh... Um, oh, when she criticizes the way that Roy is characterizing the bandit, um, and he's like, "Why does he talk like that?" And Roy says, "How do you want him to speak?" And he, she says, "Normal, like you." Yeah. It's like, okay, so she is. I mean, she's in America. She's surrounded by people. That's how her perception of like normal sounds. Right. Like. I find that very interesting. And then her um, when the old man with the, the false teeth when he tells her when she's scared um, uh, from seeing the, the, the boy that was dead in the room next door uh-huh. um, and she she was scared and she wore her pants and uh, the old man said you know when, when I'm scared is say the magic words googly 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 be gone mm-hmm. and then it cuts to her when she's scared or it goes to her when she's scared and she says googly 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 go away yeah. I was like oh my god oh she was cute she was so cute I loved the her and Roy the soul thing he was like yeah you're trying, you, you trying to save my soul and she's like what He's like trying to sell my soul, save my soul. Haha. <laughs> no, did you understand me? And like they just go back and yeah. forth, and it's so cute. And now, okay, I really want to get your impressions of what I think is like the most power. Well, the two most powerful scenes are between mm-hmm. obviously Alexandria and Roy. The one where he has taken what he believes are morphine pills to kill himself. Oh yes. And she's trying to get him to wake up. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts watching that? Okay, I didn't make the connection between the suicide and the morphine pills for a long time. I thought he was a drug addict. Like, I heard morphine and saw that and was like, all right, he's addicted to morphine. Like, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize he was taking it to try to kill himself until towards the end. And that's, I think that's a little bit of where I got lost. was Mm -hmm. like, it seemed like we were making the jump between, okay, Roy's in the hospital. To say, to go back a little bit. Mm He's in the hospital because he attempted this stunt, which he did because he was trying to impress the actress who used to be his girlfriend, but now was dating the leading man. So he did this out of love. He's already in this low place. He is taking morphine. And I thought that was just the addiction. And Mm. then it was all kind of piling up. Like, it seemed too coincidental that like, okay, he's addicted and also he's trying to kill himself. But... To have it all be one thing yeah. makes a little more sense. So there's a lot of subtle dialogue between adults at Alexandria sort of over here. Right. Where, like, they say suicide, like, 15 times. And where, I, I, I don't know if he's talking to his agent or his lawyer or what, but he, mm. there's a part where Alexandria's outside of the hospital ward, and you can kind of overhear Roy talking to somebody, and the guy says, you got to get off this suicide thing. Man. Yeah. Um, and then when the actor with the one the the prosthetic leg mm-hmm. came in, uh, was your friend a pirate? Was your friend a pirate? Um, She's like, no, I don't like pirates. I don't like pirates. <laughs> um, but uh, even he even he said he's like, no, he's like, no girls worth suicide. This kind of thing kind of came up. It's like a lot of people coming up to him. So for sure, it was hard to hear. Mm-hmm. Which I have to think that probably some of these critics who were talking about mm-hmm. that maybe missed also it. missed it. If you it also it, seemed hyperbolic because like to say a stunt is suicidal is not unheard of. So it, it seemed to me like he was doing it to impress her. He wasn't doing it to kill himself. So the, yeah, the, the fact that the suicide was like an actual yeah. thing that was actually at stake here took me a minute to, to figure out. Yeah. And so the, um, if you were to rewatch or if you were to watch it with that understanding and maybe that scene would have a little bit more impact, but yeah, that one really got me or it gets me every time really mm. when, when he's, when she's 
first of all, in the story, it, she's a, becomes a character in the story, and she's like making faces at him to try to get him to oh, wake yeah. up. And then it goes back to the hospital, and she's like, "Okay, but for real, wake up, wake up, right. wake up." And then it's finally, like, sleep. goes away. And then the next scene, you see them wheeling a body out of there, and she's just <gasps> devastated. Right. right. Okay. Um. That that one really gets me. But then the other one was, of course, like after she. Well, let's not get too ahead oh. of ourselves. Oh, she goes that back. scene. So I forgot she, about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so she goes back. She, first, she, she messes up getting pills for Roy because he tells her to go get pills from the dispensary. She misunderstands and just and it doesn't work out. So, like, she is trying to almost... And this is, like, the really crushing part is that she's trying to basically make up for um, what she thought was a mistake that she made. Mm-hmm. So she goes back to, like, the dispensary where they keep the pills and gets, like, she's trying to read the bottle morphine tablets again. She falls off the stool and she conks her head mm-hmm. I want to get okay first of all how would you describe what happens next and what was your response to that after what we had seen so far that so right she falls she hits her head and after that there's this just like mash cut sequence of all of these different scenes it's like you can hear her you can tell she's in pain and this is sort of representing her pain and her her perspective on what's happening to her after that and clearly she's coming in and out of consciousness at one point it it goes to like claymation Mm -hmm. and there's like skeleton doctors taking paper out of her head and all this stuff and just to me that scene was probably one of the most powerful because it is it really got like if you've ever been in a lot of pain or been really sick Mm -hmm. that is so accurate like the few times I've been really ill in my life that is exactly what it looked like Mm -hmm. like you, j- you can't totally process and rationalize what's happening. You know someone is hurting you, but you don't... Or maybe you think someone's hurting you, but you don't know why, or you don't really know what's happening and how you're supposed to understand it. And I that was... Especially as a child. And mm. it was it was painful, because you can hear her voice, and you can hear her kind of crying for help, yeah. and trying to, you know, ask anyone what's happening, and it's... Oh, it's it is not, it, it, that's heavy. the thing, is like the whole... This whole uh, hallucination sequence is underscored with sounds of like the doctors in the very distant background where you can kind of hear them chattering, but that's you can't really tell what they're saying. But more of what you can hear is Alexandria basically sounding a lot like a real like young child who is in physical pain, where it's like she's sort of talking, sort of crying, and mm-hmm. like trying to like articulate what's happening. And it's re- that part alone is just really just crushing, but. One part of that sequence that I find so fascinating is the different instances that feature her gap-toothed father Mm -hmm. and the man with the one leg, who the one leg is being, like, the prosthetic leg is being, like, mutilated in some way Mm -hmm. in each different scene, whether it's on a pirate ship or, you know, cowboy scene or whatever, and they're very Mm stagey with, like, the cloth backdrop. That fascinates me, and then it finally leads up to... The what we realize is the actual remembrance that Alexander's having of their home being burned down right. and their horse being stolen and her father being ultimately killed by this gang of who knows. I don't know if that's supposed to take place in California. I don't know if that's supposed to take place in Romania. I'm not sure. I took it as they were refugees. Something happened that's what I in Romania like and they Rome came. Or something yeah. Like that. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that's what I thought also. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, she talks very obliquely about that happening early in the movie, mm-hmm. but doesn't really, like, dwell on it. So to hear, it's like, it's almost like the physical pain that she's in brought her back to, like, this traumatic moment that, like, was defining for her. So I thought that was really fascinating. And then, yeah, the stop-motion sequence was very unusual and interesting with, yeah, like you said, with the doctors and, like, these big, like, red robes. Mm-hmm. Um... Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, like the claymation or the slow, uh, the stop motion sequence that had like the doctors in the red robes and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, like you said, pulling the paper out of her head. Mm. Yeah, that was so spot on. Mm-hmm. And really just, it was, it was, it could have easily been creepy, but it was more like you felt the just discomfort that right. she was feeling at that moment. It was a representation of like something that is really, really hard to describe to anybody who's not in that mm-hmm. in that state of mind. Yeah, and then it, it, once she finally kind of regains full consciousness and she's still in the room and she, you see her witnessing the doctor scolding Roy, basically being like, okay, like 
you have this responsibility and this is what you do with it. Like, you mm. know, this girl looks up to you and this is how you handle it. And that leads to, I, I think, like, definitely the most powerful film, scene of the film mm. where Roy is distraught and have and facing uh, Alexandria and trying to, she's trying to get him to finish this story because she's so invested in it. Um, and that is kind of where, like, the events in the, the real world and the events in the fantasy world start to really you know, hit the gas. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want to get your opinion on that whole sequence and how that all fit together. So very quickly, like he resolves the story really quickly with many of the main characters dying. So it's, um, Alexandria has already entered the story at this point And Roy has been a part of the story basically since she said like, mm -hmm. why is that guy talking weird? And he says, because he's supposed to be your father. Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, make him talk normal like you. Yeah. So he turns into Roy in the story and, so the two of them are trying to escape with their whole team and one by one they're getting killed off. I honestly thought the monkey's death was the most heartbreaking. He So he chases... What's the monkey's name? Totally Wallace. Okay. Wallace. Um, so Wallace chases after the... He, he runs off and um, Charles is like, what? Where are you going? And Because they've had a little bit of a love-hate relationship mm -hmm. through the whole thing. They've been antagonistic to each other. But um, he runs... Wallace runs off and gets shot by the henchmen, the evil dudes. And Charles Darwin runs up to him and realizes that he had found the butterfly and he was chasing yeah. after the butterfly. And that's why he had, like, run out into the open. And so... That monkey was, had a more convincing oh, death scene than, like, most, most I've seen by human actors before. Yeah, yeah, it was... Oh, that was touching. That one really got me. Um, and then they're all very... I felt like the whole movie, Cirque du Soleil kept coming to my mm, head. Like it's all very vibrant and theatrical and, and operatic, especially mm. in the deaths. So they're all running around. Um, Charles Darwin gets killed shortly after uh, the, the ex-slave who is also the, the ice delivery man for yes. the hospital. Who That was so sweet. Yeah. He is protecting Alexandria. So he gets just completely feathered with arrows and, Which Whew. Not to cut you off, but uh -huh. like I have issues with Tar Sam's claim that there was no CGI in this movie because I cannot imagine oh, how that, that was could possibly be a thing that happens with with practical effects where his back and thighs are so porcupined <laughs> with arrows that he falls over backwards and his weight is supported on them like a yep. pair of nails. He just like tabletops like yeah. onto the 100%. arrows. No, there's no way that's not CGI. No that way. just no impossible but, but anyway yeah so that it and then um they end up having an account an encounter with governor odious he and roy's character in the story fight roy's character stops fighting and this is kind of where we segue into the real world with alexandra begging him to fight and he's just given up he's he's done fighting he's done fighting in the real world he's done fighting in the story he just wants to be over. And that was that was really powerful. One of the lines that really, like, again, hits me super hard during that scene is um, when uh, Alexander's telling Roy, like, stop making everybody die. And he says, my story, I can do what I want. And she's like, it's my story, too. Mm. And he says, there's no happy ending with me. And she mm -hmm. says, I still want to know. And that kind of, like, forces... And he... And, and, you know, they're both, like, having a major, like, emotional meltdown at this point. Yeah. While oh. he's trying to tell the story. And that kind of pushes him to finally wrap things up. Um, which, I want to get your thoughts on how he... Now, granted, I, for one, do not consider the events of the story he's telling to be that important to mm -hmm. the, I think, the overall arc of the main text. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious as to your thoughts on how he chose to resolve the story with oh. basically the ultimate climax was him rejecting Nurse Evelyn. Oh, yeah. That was funny. I, uh, the ending felt a little too, like, on the note, like, to, to give up literally fighting and then rise from the water and start fighting again, like... It was a little unsatisfying to me. The rejection of Nurse Evelyn, I was into. It was cute. I I liked it. Because he, like, she comes up and is like, oh, you know, it's all a test. And he's like, mm, move along, ho. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Alexandra stands next to him and crosses uh -huh, her arms. Uh -huh, and like, uh -huh. 
gives a sassy little five-year-old look. By but... the way, we didn't touch on this. How adorable were they in the matching banded outfits? Oh my god. Too cute. Too <laughs> unbelievable. It was adorable. Um, I, I liked that because it was, you know, he had put so much stock clearly in this romantic relationship mm-hmm. and now he has a different type of relationship that he is prioritizing mm-hmm. and I, I could feel that. I... I didn't I didn't dislike that part. I just I I don't know what I was missing. There was something more I wanted to happen. And you know, I kind of I never really gave it too much thought before, but I I now I kind of think that what happened was by telling the story and trying to, you know, wrap it all up without everybody dying. He that was Roy basically trying to face okay what are when he doesn't think he's got any options other than suicide this is kind of him facing like the idea of like okay what 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 are my options if I can't kill everybody including myself what are my options for continuing mm. and that's kind of the turning point where he finally realizes like oh maybe I was kind of up my own ass about all this and mm. I don't and like it's not as dire as it's like oh, okay. oh maybe I can he's like. Because the thing about him coming out of the water mm-hmm. more or less reflects what actually happened to him after he oh, fell true, off the bridge. True. And so with him emerging from the water and just, you know, punching not Andy <laughs> Garcia straight in the face and, and having not Andy Garcia fall onto his sword cane and then oh, yeah. and then just by accident and saying, I'm not feeling very well. Oh, the I'm not feeling very well terrific. was so great. It was and then, great. You know, going up to, which Nurse Evelyn, I feel like in the story was more of his inability to face the actress that he was mm-hmm. involved with. Um, also, it's not like Alexandria cares who that is. She's she's casting this story, not Roy. Yeah. Um, that was you know by him rejecting her at the end. I kind of felt like was his his coming to terms finally with you know like I don't need I don't need you. I don't need to you know you don't need to define my whole life. Yeah. Um, That's I guess the up his own ass thing that works for me because I I think what my biggest problem was was like Roy's depression never felt very real to he was, me. He was mostly being melodramatic it right. was not a case of a clinically depressed person this is just a guy who was upset that he got dumped for a movie star yeah so to believe that he was on the edge of suicide and that he it was it was too easy throughout it for him to just be secretly depressed or whatever he was and then for it to just be resolved with her saying like you know she was fighting him at the end and that's a real emotional struggle and well done but it was still like an easy resolution to like, well, mm-hmm. don't want to kill myself anymore. Just hop up out of the water and punch him in the face. Mm-hmm. Like, just kidding. It's over. That, I think, yeah, it was the depression itself that never really landed yeah. with me. And that's true. And I, I think that part of that is that in the, you know, like we, like we said, I don't think that he was actually like a clinically depressed person. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter of like, I don't know. I feel like that's a very like turn of the 20th century attitude like super like <laughs> romantic but with like without the positive connotation like mm. more like you know me- like I said more melodramatic yeah. than romantic um now by the end we get the scene where Alexandria's kind of talking about how her mom pointed out Roy in a movie and she didn't believe it so she watched it over oh. and over again and she recognized Roy and so she starts to think that Roy is the stunt man in every movie oh yeah and that closing so sequence cute. it's like it has nothing really to do with the story but I was curious as to like what you made of that closing montage of silent era movie mm-hmm. stunts right because they end on actual like there's Buster mm-hmm. Keaton films in mm-hmm. there there's all kinds of there is one scene where you can definitely tell it's Lee Pace and that is yeah. so so sweet but um yeah i i took it as kind of an homage like Mm -hmm. this is you know this is a real thing that we don't think about but like stunts stunts are crazy now but just think about the technology that they had in early movies but stunts were still a thing they were Mm -hmm. doing things that were dangerous and you know not feasible by normal people so i i took it as kind of an homage to just the whole art form that he's taking as inspiration for this story. Yeah, the whole idea of doing it for real and mm-hmm. not relying on, on... Partly, I feel like it was a statement on that. It was it tied into his... Uh, I don't want to say thesis and get all film schooly about <laughs> it, but like his whole like motive, his whole MO of making a movie like this, that is this spectacular without using computers as a mm-hmm. crutch, and tying it back to old Hollywood where like these stunts 
were done, like I said, done for real. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting parallel that is imperfect, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, which is part of the reason why I find it so disconcerting that Tarsem Singh has not made a good movie before or since oh. this movie. He clearly has a passion and love for making films in a way that is very emotional, very visually spectacular, and entertaining. I mean, this was an entertaining movie. Like, it got heavy at a few points, mm-hmm. but it's very entertaining, yeah. I think. Um, and how long would you say this movie was? Off the top of your head, if you had to take a stab at how long this movie was, how would you guess? Oh, I probably looked it up. I think it was like two hours. Yeah. It, 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 feel, it, it felt two hours. You, you thought so? I, yeah. I always think this movie is shorter than it oh, is. Okay. I don't know. I, I, mm-hmm. I, feel like it's, I feel like it's a pretty lean two hours. It, yeah, it definitely didn't feel too long. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's very disconcerting that this director who's clearly talented and knows how to get good performances out of people he knows how to like m- use visuals to tell a story mm-hmm. he like he, the movie he made right before this was the cell with jennifer lopez i think oh no yeah and he made a movie called mirror mirror after this that i wanted to see but then even the trailer looked miserable is that the was that the snow white one yep, oh i think i saw that with the julie not julie andrews i always <laughs> want to say that Julia Roberts. I think I think and, so. And uh, Phil Collins' daughter, Lily Collins. Correct. Yeah, I know okay, that I did see that. Not good. No, unfortunately. Yeah, but it's. I appreciate this guy, if only for one film, and mm-hmm. you know, it's it's wild. Like watching the footage of him behind the scenes, it was. Oh, he was very adamant about even when they were on location in Namibia shooting the uh, scenes with Alexander the Great. Um, from uh, Roy's early story. <laughs> He's telling his whole crew, and they're on location in a very remote desert uh, with a major production going on. And before they start rolling, he tells everybody, he's like, if basically he's like, if we're not having fun, fuck it. Like, if you're not having, if you're not enjoying oh. yourself while you're working, we collectively need to do something different. And there were other shots of him playing cricket with the crew while they were in the process of setting up the scenes at this hospital it's wild like working with him looks like a lot of fun honestly like a huge pain in the ass logistically (laughs) but super super fun that's cool and i was wondering like did at any point did you find the grandiosity of the fantasy land story to be distracting no i'm honestly i'm here for it i just i love i love big epic films just give me something beautiful and interesting and fantastical and i'm i'm totally sold and yeah and and i mean god we could we could spend hours just talking alone about the um you know what differentiates a movie like this from other big spectacular films that are much more popular make a lot more money Mm. um but lean on like the cgi i mean people like you and i often talk about how computer-generated effects are boring. I mean, prefer practical effects, which I do. I don't know about you. I definitely prefer practical effects. I prefer practical sets over totally green screen movies. Mm -hmm. Clearly, the masses have spoken. They're not into it, you know? (laughs) They don't care. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if it's they don't care. I mean, I do think we've come to a place with what we can do where you just can't tell a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... I'm sure you can if you are paying very close attention and if you know what to look for, but... We, we can do incredible things with CGI. I do think there's something... I mean, there's something great about rubber dinosaurs in Jurassic mm-hmm. Park. And, you know, I, something like this, that's... I mean, there's definitely some camera work going into making these scenes as fantastical as they are. The mm-hmm. colors are out of this world. The way they captured it is fantastical. But, yeah, I you... I might be with you. You can't you can't emulate this with with computers. It's it's too cool. You could do a whole like travel series, I bet, on all these locations. Like just yeah. make a tour out of it. Just countries. take the cult following yeah. around the world. And with that in mind, I mean we're getting pretty close to finishing up here. How would you pitch this movie to someone who'd never seen it before if you're trying to get them to watch it? 
I liked your pitch. I think Wizard of Oz needs to be in there somewhere. Oh, this is so Wizard of Oz because the the parallels between the real world and every and what she's experiencing. Princess Bride definitely, but yeah, you do need to have that that darkness in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'd have to think because the darkness is is the real world. Like the darkness is the real. I world. I guess like, the story as well, but the stakes yeah. in the fantasy world are pretty low for the most part. Right, like, like most... you see some people getting flayed and stuff, which is heavy, but yeah, the yeah. real stakes are in the real world. It's true. Yeah, and and again, I, I I feel like a lot of the criticisms weighed against this movie were too harsh on. First of all, I don't understand the criticisms of the hospital scenes. I thought every single one of them worked. Mm. I, I did not... I, that's one thing that we didn't really talk about. Mm-hmm. What you, you mentioned a little bit about you know one or two scenes that you didn't think quite clicked, but what what would you respond to in terms of you know what didn't necessarily work in this movie? Um, I think Roy's depression was a big one. I felt like there was too, too much of the stakes rode on his kind of emotional state... And so for me to not totally believe that or not understand why I wasn't supposed to believe it was a weakness. Um, I Yeah, I'm with you that the hospital scenes, I thought those were really endearing because you got to see a lot of different characters interacting with each other in interesting mm-hmm. ways. And that was, you know, real life stuff. Um, it, it, yeah, it was the connective tissue, I think, that was kind of missing sometimes mm-hmm. that we didn't, I really didn't feel like we got to dig in and feel... Roy's plight. I, I felt like we got Alexandria and we got the position she was in and we saw some really interesting and subtle scenes with her, you know, translating for her mother and the doctor and clearly yeah. leaving some yes. things out. She says okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really? Because it, it sounds like she asked me something. No, that's just how we talk. That's just how we talk. And it's a classic moment of like, mother says like clearly <laughs> two paragraphs of things yeah. and then she says, she says okay. Yeah. And like, so, good. so sweet. But it, you, you know, you get kind of, you get what her life must be like. Mm-hmm. Roy, it was kind of, it was harder to get why, why he was where he was and what he needed to get out of it. So my head cannon mm-hmm. for Roy and the, the young lady that left him for the movie star was that and this is not necessarily backed up by anything other than the fact that we know that they had an established relationship in those photos. Right. And at one point, which you, you possibly you might have missed this if you weren't paying super super close attention to the like the low dialogue, was mm-hmm. that somebody tells Roy in like the background, like you know, this stunt stuff wasn't for you in the first place. You're a college boy. So my mm-hmm. thought, my head canon is that they were in a relationship. They probably moved out to California together or to Hollywood together uh-huh. so that she could chase her dream of being a movie star. Uh-huh. And he started working as a stuntman. And they were involved until she decided to dump Roy for the leading man. Mm-hmm. That's my... Mm. That's And it's probably on this one movie, for that matter. Right. That's the way I'm visualizing oh. it happened. Maybe he was doing something else, and she tried to dump him for the leading man, so he became a stuntman. That's a possibility. Then, who knows? But, yeah, there's definitely backstory there. That was just the weakest thing mm-hmm. for me, I think. I, I needed to feel more for Roy and why, you know, him him just being melodramatic is, is not enough. I, need... and I agree. And maybe I made a poor choice of words when I said that, because I'm not sure if that quite reflects what I was thinking of. I... I feel like this could have been explored better but at the same time the whole situation with Roy kind of is an exploration of how like people who are I don't know I mean you feel like he's probably at this point what early mid 20s something like that he is you know something like this that happens to him it's not a big deal in the big scheme but he doesn't recognize it that way Mm. it's crushing to him and now compounded by the fact that he believes that he is now paralyzed Right. And he doesn't see himself having any kind of valuable life now. If before he was potentially suicidal over having his girlfriend leave him, now that he has paralyzed himself, now he's done this to himself, I can't imagine that would do anything but make him feel extremely low. Right. And, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, things could always be worse, of course. But you know the i felt like that was a very real exploration of the way that a you know a real person would respond to something like that um again that's what i got out of it but, no I, yeah know. the circumstances are definitely there i i i see you and a 
the interaction between him and Alexandra were enough for me to feel for both of them. For so sure, for sure. I'm really curious before we run out of time. So yes. tell me your backstory with this movie. Like, how were you exposed to this movie yeah. and where where does this fit in your life? I'll be honest with you. It's pretty boring. Like, I first was introduced to the idea of this movie in... Um, well, because it premiered at TIFF in, like, 2006, but I didn't hear about it until it got its wide release, or not wide release, its limited release in 2008. Mm. And so I think that was May of 2008, maybe. So I was in college, I was like a freshman in college, and I just was cruising movie sites instead of doing my homework, and I found this trailer, and I was flabbergasted by the trailer on its own. Mm. And that's how I came across it. I just found the trailer on the internet, and I was like, I have got to see this movie. Mm. And that was right around the time that I got my first Netflix subscription. I think I ordered the movie via the mail order DVD and watched it and I was blown away by it. I watched it again and I was blown away by it again. And this was like one of the first Blu-rays that I bought because mm. it was, it's such a visual feast mm. on its, like on, on that alone, it's just beyond beautiful to watch. Um, but it just, I don't know, it just connected I didn't necessarily relate to any of the characters. I didn't mm. relate to any of the situations. It was really just a matter of... It was... You know, I love movies. I don't often connect to movies on an emotional level. And Wasn't for, your upbringing as a, as a uh, Romanian girl <laughs> picking oranges? You know, it brought me right back to the orange groves around, you know, <laughs> right before the Great War happened and those oh, hospitals geez. were filled up with young, bo- uh, young doughboys. But no, it, uh, for real, it was... I don't know, and I, I've, I've been kind of struggling with that for a long time. I'm not really sure what it is about it. It's hmm. just like, the the inter- I think it's because it really just boils down to the relationship between Alexandria and Roy, and how real it seems, mm-hmm. and how honest it is. Like, this, it again, it, it blows me away that, that Lee Pace isn't more famous than he is, because he can do performances like this. Oh, this yeah. Was, you know, for as thin as it was written in some places, this was an amazing performance. Yeah, super good, and I, I, it, it's upsetting that that's not better recognized. Um, but it, again, you know, one of the other movies that makes me really um, that hits me emotionally is uh, "It's a Wonderful Life." Oh yes, but that's more because like as I get older, I can kind of relate to the story and mm. to the characters. This is not the case. Like I've gotten older. Like you know, I first saw this movie like eight years ago, probably, and mm. like I don't relate to any of the characters, but I can. I, it feels real to me the way that it's presented and I feel like that is so rare mm-hmm. um, that it just it just hits me and even now no, I haven't seen it several times and it, you know I, I don't think it necessarily has anything to do with like frame of mind or anything like that it's just it it, it just hits me in the right spot yeah I can I can see I can see that it's it is wonderful to watch highly recommend great I'm glad we saw it Good. I'm, I'm glad you're glad. That's all I really want. And uh, I'm glad that you have the right opinion about this movie. Because it <laughs> Correct. Is, it is great. So what would you say? Five stars? Yes. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. If on, on a five star scale, what would you... Because we know that you would recommend it. I would recommend it. Um, hmm. You'd have to be in the mood for it. Mm. Three and a half to four, I okay. would say. Mm-hmm. So... You are wounded. I can tell. <laughs> one, It's fine. It's fine. Different strokes. I will tell you this. This is one of the movies where when I start dating somebody, I show them this movie and I, ve- I scrutinize their reaction. Oh. They don't have to love it. Uh-huh. But I'm desperate to know what they think about oh, it. Oh, okay. So that's... Do you uh, talk through it or is it just a, I watch your reaction and I know everything I need to know? Um, more of that, more, mm. more like once, once I kind of get their opinion on it, it tells me everything I need to know about. Will it. there be a second date? Yeah, it's... pretty much. Oh wow! No, okay. no, no, no! Don't get me wrong. This is not a first date movie for sure. This is just like one of the first sure, movies sure. that I showed us. <laughs> Will there yeah, be a yeah. third date then? Yeah, something like that. Oh wow! Okay. But yeah, you know. I am. I am glad you liked it, and um, I'm glad you would recommend it, even if you didn't give it the full. You know, a hundred p on this movie. That's yes. fine. Um, but yeah, I think we've said just about enough. I mean, you know what I think about it. You know what Kari mm-hmm. thinks about it. I highly recommend that you watch this movie as well. 
So before we wrap up, now it is time to take a look into the future mm -hmm. and find out what we're going to be watching next week. I am very excited to hear what you have to say. Oh, not nearly as excited as I am to watch this movie. <laughs> Basically, two bros on an epic adventure to find a shit ton of gold. Oh boy. I feel like this has come up in conversation before and I am very excited to watch Okay, have you seen The Road to El Dorado? All right. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. This is childhood favorite. It's I won't even I won't even say anymore. I'm so excited to rewatch this. It's actually on Netflix, so we don't have to pay oh, for this fantastic. one. Go watch it soon before it comes down cuz awesome. they all do. Excellent. All right, fantastic. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us once again. We'll catch you next week. Until then, I'm Kyle. I'm Kari. We'll see you next time. See ya.